Regina Connolly, uh, my good pal, Robin Lane Hitchcock. Hello. And uh, Bob Shields. Hello. This week we have a very special guest, Sean Collier. Hi, everybody. You may know Sean from his film reviews in Pittsburgh Magazine, or his appearances on the DVE Morning Show on the radio, or his movie podcast, You Can't Handle the Truth. Where everyone on this side of the table has appeared. That's true. His side of the table is, is me and him. Right. Regina and Bob, I'm inviting them future guests. Yes, definitely. <laughs> Deal. You, you, oh. you apparently now have inviting privileges. <laughs> Wait. Uh, this is what I said, that the moment that Frankly Scarlet assembled on our podcast, it was slowly ceded to Frankly Scarlet. That's true. Eventually we will vanish. Can we With Aaron Fiber is the week, by the way. Uh, can we preemptively request to be on for Atomic Blonde? I was going to uh, offer that at the end of the episode. Oh, like, hey. okay. re-edit that. Okay, if, that's a delightful ass- Assuming that it works and that they screen it, which is always a question. But yes, if there is an advanced screening of Atomic Blonde and we are podcasting it, of course the oh, Theronathon oh. team will be the guests. Thank you, Sean. So of course. So we're so happy to have Sean here because he is like an actual real deal movie critic and he has a podcast with, what did you say, 200 episodes? We're, yeah, I think this week was 193. Wow. So, yeah. And, as you can hear, an amazing radio voice. Correct. <laughs> you know, if only it were a viable field for full-time employment in 2017, which is a thing I say about everything I do. Yeah, but, you've yes, cobbled together you. one one amount of right. full time. My job is having opinions about things, and many of those things are movies. So here we are. So, what is your one sound opinion on Kubo and the Two Strings, which is our movie today? I think we glossed over that oh, one. Oh, yeah. We're doing Kubo and the Two Strings, which came out in 2016. I never know that. <laughs> My one sound is, is like, mm, which is the sound of like, Qualified praise is coming. Okay. I think. <laughs> we'll expand on that, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. Regina. My one sound review is... Because <gasps> <gasps> there's, like, there's a hiccup in there. <laughs> I think my one sound review is... Oh. And mine is... <laughs> That's, yeah. That was a variety of sounds. Yeah. <laughs> it's, a, it's a deep movie, y'all. So I think I want to start this conversation talking about why I asked Sean to come other than all of his, you know, qualifications is that he and I had specifically talked about this movie when it came out and the problematic elements of it, specifically that it is a story set in Japan and it's an animated movie and the voice cast is almost entirely white. So I wanted to take a while to talk about why we have reservations and why Regina's noise had a hiccup, and then we can talk about the movie beyond its crippling flaws. Yeah, well, this is this is because Robin is my go-to source when I am not woke enough to figure out how I feel about a movie. I have conflicting thoughts, and then I Facebook message Robin, and she tells me what I'm thinking. Very accurately every time. Um, <laughs> and I I didn't... I don't think I really properly reviewed Kubo. I... In, yeah, I was going to write something about the luxury cinema Oh yeah, in West Mifflin, which is great. You get to recline fully. And I just needed to see a movie, and I had missed Kubo, and I was like, oh, okay, I'll see that. So I was freed of like having to figure out what I was going to write, but I couldn't... Just in thinking about it, I couldn't get past, like, why all of these white voices, though? Right. And uh, our discussion, I think, was mostly about, like, is it better or worse in animation to whitewash a movie? And I, I mentally settled on, like, it's marginally less offensive, but way more, like, stupid and ridiculous 
Because, okay, there's not literally a white person who you are telling, who I'm looking at their face and you're telling me that this clearly white person is Asian. So minor points for that. Yeah. But, like, the only... Like, the only excuse, I don't want to say defense because it's not really defensible, the excuse that studios use for casting white people in Asian roles is, we need to sell tickets and we need recognizable faces, which is horrible, but that's the excuse. And in an animated movie, that just isn't a thing. Like, (laughs) no one goes to see a movie for the voice of Charlize Theron or Matthew McConaughey. Well, some of us have a podcast. Well, other than the three of you. The three of you are the only three. (laughs) We literally did go see this movie with this podcast in mind. So we are the only three people in the universe who saw Kubo and the Two Strings because of the box office power of Charlize Theron. (laughs) She did get top billing guys in the credits. I did double check. Yes. I... Also, are we, we're doing spoilers on this, yes? Yeah. Great. So I had also sort of thought, like, again, it's not defensible, but I was like, it is at least representative, like, in terms of what you're looking at. It is Japanese characters. And I thought for a while, I was like, well, Charlize Theron is playing a monkey. Right. So, like, I guess it's maybe, it's a monkey. But, uh, spoiler guys, she's not actually a monkey. She is the mom who uses magic to be a monkey temporarily. So, yeah, and I don't know, like, I do think it is legitimate to, like, start all discussions of this movie from that point of being like, why did you guys have to do this? Because I would like to live in the better world where you did use Japanese voice actors and we could just talk about how great I think this movie is. We wouldn't be recording this episode, but we would be having a conversation about how much we love this movie. Sure. Yes. Sure. And uh, more so in this case, because it's not, you know, simply, this isn't like a Studio Ghibli movie where they want to release it for eight-year-old Americans so they get American actors to do the dub like this is directed and produced and written and everything by white americans white americans aping mm-hmm. aping studio ghibli most of all but also just japanese films so it's it's like this is an impression of a japanese movie right which is like definitely like i'm glad you like that but there's no real reason to do that. Does it change it at all that this is an original story versus an adaptation of like a traditional Japanese? See, I don't know. Honestly, I don't know if it does or not. Because just... so I am curious. I don't know that much about Japanese culture, but it seems to me that the the mythos and the legend that they're telling here is made up. Yes. yes. It's, so, a, it's a wholly original story. Right. Correct. And it's not tied to any specific places in Japan. Like, there right. aren't, like, specific locations of, like, cities or towns, things like that. Like, it's very untethered from a physical world in that respect. Right. But then they take, like, certain iconography, mm-hmm. like, from Buddhism and... Origami. And, right. And Samurai. It, yeah. And it's like, okay, are they doing any of this respectfully? And because of the casting, my gut tells me no. On the, on the, is this more or less offensive than Ghost in the Shell scale? Yeah. I think, honestly, more, because there's just so few Japanese people involved. And the few Asian performers are like, here's your two lines yeah, they're that extras. we're throwing to you. Right, they you put know? George Takei in the credits, but he literally has the, oh my, cameo. Right. That's it. Oh, he shows up in the graveyard teaching oh, his granddaughter. Yeah, he yeah. teaches okay. his granddaughter about spirits for oh, that's a minute. Him? I think that oh, was Oh, that him. makes a little so. bit more sense. Yeah, I yeah. also like I feel like it's worth saying, like, I am I'm interested to find out like like the, the nuances of it, but I also want to say like full stop, like, it is not defensible and we're not being like, Well, they did this, so it's okay. Oh, right. Like, right. Um I, I think it's an interesting, I don't know, thing to look at and try to figure out, but I'm like, I'm not trying to defend their choices. And uh, as we're about to indicate And I think this is really, really important because this doesn't get said a lot. Like, it's possible to be like, no, this is not okay. I really liked this movie. That's fine Mm -hmm. as long as you have the first part. Yeah. And and, and I'm, I'm with Ghost in the Shell. I'm the same way. I'm like, that was a very, very bad decision. And I enjoyed the movie. I think as long as you acknowledge these things, you can still, it's, it's Super Mario Brothers. It's, I'm, Super Mario Brothers is the best. It has a troubling, like 
plot line. But, but, but yeah, I said that, so now I can play Super Mario Brothers forever. Wait, right? what's troubling about Super Mario Brothers? The damsel in yeah, distress elements? Yeah, it's just a damsel okay. in distress over and over again for infinity. <laughs> yeah. I thought it was uh, hackneyed representations of Italian America. <laughs> yeah, I was like, wait, hey. I don't think that's the same as how we treat Asian people in films. <laughs> but anyway... Bob, do you have any thoughts? I feel like we've sort of talked over you at this point. Um, I mean, yeah. I mean, if there's like a thousand caveats you can offer of this movie, like it's like you can look at it through the other end of the telescope and be like, well, the question is not why are there no Asian actors; it's why is it set in Japan? Like, why right. is it not just set in 1950s America? Right. I don't know why. So it's but you know because he needed a three string guitar for the metaphor to work. <laughs> Could have just had a regular broken guitar. Yeah, <laughs> um, or a ukulele. Or, you know, Do ukuleles have three strings? I have no they idea. Have four. Four, okay. I think, but I have no idea. What's the name of that guitar? Shamisen. The Shamisen, okay. So yeah, but, um, but other than that, like, there's no possible logical reason why they would do that in the way that, like, I don't know what it is. It's weird. I think, I mean, I, I believe that I read the director in, like, response to this and his thing of saying, like, this is the only way we could get funding. Because, like, people, like, producers thought that the only way that this movie would sell was if people, mm -hmm. uh, there were more people like us who always go to see Charlize Theron movies. <laughs> which I don't know if that is true or not, but I also am kind of like, well, if you continue to act that way, then it will always be true. And spoiler, this did not do well. No, it did terribly. I think it was actually the worst one of, of Leica's movies, right. none of which have really? made a lot of money. That is yeah. really heartbreaking. Yeah. This made, like, 74 globally. It's like, 45 so... here. Which is for for any big animated production is terrible. a horrible flop. Yeah. Yeah. I was really sad that it didn't win the Academy Award. I think this movie, including all the problematic elements, is beautiful and true. Like yeah. I think it is a great, great story. Okay, we're gonna have to do the thing where we put the mic up to Netflix to get Matthew McConaughey saying, "This is problematic." <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah. This is problematic. So I don't want to do the, okay, we've talked about why this is problematic. Let's move on. No. <laughs> but we, I do want to sort of address the rest of this movie. Should I summarize it? Yes, quickly? please. Yes. Okay. So the movie starts in one of the best storytelling openings of a movie that I've seen in a long time. There's a woman in a boat and a giant wave, and she uses her magical shamisen to split the waters, uh, and there's narration going on behind her, and then she gets hit by a wave behind her, hits her head on the ocean floor, washes up with her baby, and that's how it begins, and then there are credits. And then you realize that Kubo has grown up, he was the baby, to be like a young boy, and, and he's he staying with his mom. doesn't have an eyeball. He is missing an eyeball, which his grandfather took from him, uh, and his mother is... Not 100% there mentally. So at different times of the day, she's very vacant, and he takes care of her. Uh, he goes into the town and is a storyteller and does magic with origami. Like, there's paper storytelling and folding. And he is never allowed to be outside after moonrise. But surprise, because it's a movie, uh, he does stay out after the sun sets. And his evil relatives, the twin sisters of the Moon King and the Moon King, are hunting him because they want his second eyeball. So this kicks off a whole adventure. His mother stays to fight the sisters and dies, and he finds himself in a snowy wasteland with a monkey come to life, who is Charlize Theron, and the monkey is very grumpy, and she's like, get in this dead whale! I don't care how much you think it stinks. And they're all like, well, what's gonna happen? And he has to essentially live out the story that he was telling in the village, which is assembling three pieces of armor that will make him invincible so he can defend himself against his grandfather, who is the evil Moon King. On the course of their journey, they run into a beetle who has no memory, but is not played by Ellen DeGeneres. Uh, <laughs> it is, in fact, Matthew McConaughey, uh, which, sidebar, my opinion of that is, ugh. Anyway, so the beetle <laughs> joins their quest. And they continue to look for the three different elements. Adventure ensues. They are pursued by the evil sisters who are so well designed and so, so scary. scary. <laughs> and we learn that actually the monkey is what's left of his mother and that the magic is fading. So she will only temporarily be the monkey before she passes away. Later, we learn that the beetle is actually his father who was turned into a beetle and drained of his memories as revenge because they had fallen in love because his mother was originally a moon kingdom person. And when she came to the earth to kill Hanso, she fell in love with him because she looked in his eyes and saw humanity and she'd never felt that in the moon kingdom because before. Because he said, you are my quest. Yes. And so they realize who one another are, then they shortly thereafter die, and then Kubo has to return to his village where the last piece of armor has been all along, and he has to fight his grandfather, the Moon King. And at first he tries to use the armor and the, the unbreakable sword, um, and this is not the way to destroy them. And instead, uh, he uses his shamisen, which has lost all of its strings, 
And through the course of the movie, when he was separated from his mother, he plucked a hair from her head. And after the beetle had died, he brought the bowstring with him. And those were the two strings around his wrist, which were the memory of his family and what it meant to be loved. And he ties those onto the shamisen along with his own hair from his head, being a complete family. And he defeats the Moon King by showing him the beauty of family love and community. The Moon King then becomes human with one eye, which is Kubo's, has no memory. And then the town writes his story for him, making him a good person. And they're like, you're Mr. Rogers. And he's like, am I? Like, uh, I don't know. And then Kubo realizes he uh, will need to take care of his grandfather because he's a good person. And even though it's an animated feature, I'm very happy to report that his parents don't magically come back from the dead. But instead, you see Kubo grieving and letting his parents go uh, via a lit lantern into the river. And he continues to live among the people. Tears. Credits. That was a very good and succinct summary, and also you made me want to cry again because <laughs> this movie is so sad. I, oh my god! I felt tear energy coming <laughs> off. Of like you didn't saw, but I was like, I feel, I feel, I feel weeping to my right. It was almost there. Yeah. So I think this movie will, I think, get to anyone. It is extremely emotional, but I am extra super vulnerable to its magic because. <laughs> My parents both died when I was 21, 12 years ago, and they died in close succession. And when Kubo's mom is dying, she, like, when Monkey is dying, so his mom for real is dying, she's like, Hanzo, you have to take care of Kubo. And while she is giving him that speech, Hanzo is killed from behind. <laughs> so you don't see him stab, you just see death wash over his face. And it's like, why is this happening? This is too real. <laughs> so this movie is just laser focused to making me cry. But I think it'd make anybody cry. Yeah, I mean, yeah. even if you only have one dead parent, uh, it's still very sad. And I, like, I remember watching it and very much being nervous that the end of the movie was going to be he was going to use his magic and his parents were going to be with him and I was kind of like I feel like you're very honest about a lot of other sad things in this movie that if you subvert the ending and it's like yay that that would do the storytelling that you just did a, an injustice and yeah. they talk a lot about like storytelling is a big theme throughout it and they talk a lot about is this a happy story is this a sad story like both in his dream and when he interacts with the moon king and I felt like them saying that like even with dead parents it can still be a happy story like you can still live your life uh, and you will have the strings of them. I was like, I think that that is a better message, even if it meant that it was a flop at the box office. Right. Because people were like, that's too sad to watch. The Moon King's <laughs> like, everything you love has been taken from you. And he's like, no, I have their memories and that's the most powerful magic. <laughs> <laughs> uh, my favorite thing about this is that it's a kid's movie with stakes. Yes. Which, you know, like, I, every every kid's movie... Most every kid's movie has that kind of Marvel-level stakes, where right. it's like, if we don't get it right, the world's gonna end, in a way that there's never one second where you think right. anything actually bad is going to happen. It's right. just, how, what what hoop is the hero going to jump <laughs> through to triumph? And this is, I remember sitting in the theater and thinking, I, they're talking about death and failure and the the real permanent loss of loved ones in ways that I don't remember kids' movies talking about since we were kids. Right. Because for right. some reason in the 80s and 90s, you could be like, there could be misery <laughs> in children's movies. Yeah. And that really got sanitized over the last 20 years. Yeah, I can, the only other one I can think of that's even close is like The Iron Giant has like real feeling stakes and danger in it. But this, yeah, this, like, the sisters are really, they really seem like they're gonna kill him. Yeah. Like, they, mm -hmm. It really comes across like it's a real credible threat. You see Monkey's, like, slashed up wound on her side. It's not just like, oh, like, she kind of got kicked. It's like, no, she's got an open sore. Yeah. yeah. Let's look at that. Yeah. In clay form. And I watched it again this morning because that's, because <laughs> I had planned to for a long time and so inevitably left it till this morning. In the first sequence, where she's knocked from the boat and, like, smashes her face on an underwater rock. I was like, oh, yeah, this movie is brutal. Yeah. yeah. And that's the thing that she doesn't appear to recover from. Right. right. Like, permanent injury. Right. Like, she, the, she, it cost her something to save her son that she will always have with her. And it's not just a, like, oh, she's got a little scar. It's like, no, she has actual... 
She does have a scar. She does. And on the Charlie's eyebrow report, I would like to say <laughs> that in human form, her eyebrow has a scar through it, just like mine. Ah. It's true. Also, doesn't the monkey have a scar? Yes, uh, the monkey has a scar, but it's on the opposite side of its face. Mm. And I can't quite figure that one out. And at the end, the Moon King also has a scar. Is yes. there a chance that they made the monkey model got it wrong, and then said, this model took seven months to make, so we are not correcting this. Yes, it yes. is also a chance that there's some kind of mirror image thing going sure. on. Yeah. I don't know. I would also like to, this is the second time I've seen it, so I did see it in theaters, and I know that Charlie Theron is the monkey. Yeah. And I know that the monkey's the mother, but at the beginning, I kept being like, is that still Charlize as the voice actor? And yeah. I think she very successfully masks that it's the same actor for both. Like, I think when the monkey appears, you're not like, that's the mom. Yeah, which is a common trap for having famous people play yes. nice things. Like, you can, oh, it's like, you, they're distinctively that person. She manages to convincingly play two separate characters you're not supposed to know are the same character, and her distinctiveness doesn't give it away, which is really unheard of. If you watch this on Netflix, which it's on Netflix, so you should watch it, the caption says, Mother's voice, the first time Monkey speaks. <laughs> oh. So. Wah, 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 wah. <laughs> I mean, here's the thing. So I knew it was Charlize Theron for both parts because I know what her voice sounds like and I was attuned to it. Mm -hmm. But the scar thing, I think you'd figure it out pretty quickly. Yeah. Yeah. But speaking what Bob mentioned about famous people, like not being able to lose their personality into a role. That's how I feel about Matthew McConaughey, who I do not hate as an actor. I delight in him in other things. Sahara. Exactly. Sahara's a great film, everyone. But I found him... Really? Oh, yeah. We love that movie. Okay. <laughs> um, Go with it. I found him so distracting as the Beatle. I was like, that's Matthew McConaughey. That's Matthew McConaughey. And I just... I, like, I really, like, it took me out of it. And, like, in the theater, it bothered me a little bit less because I was overwhelmed by, like, the delight and the surprise elements that the movie, like, consistently delivers. But on rewatching, I was just like, nope, nope, nope. So I have the opposite thing where I keep thinking the Beatles played by George Clooney. Because, oh! <laughs> because I think Matt McConaughey is, like, neutralizing his accent somewhat. And yeah. that role is, like, the kind of, like, well-meaning dumb person that George Clooney plays very well. So the whole time, like, I know it's Matthew, even the second time, like, I know it's Matthew McConaughey, but he really sounds like George Clooney to me. You know, there's another actor who plays well-meaning dumb people really well, who might have been in this movie. Yeah. Keanu Reeves. He might have. What, what role would he have played? <laughs> <laughs> well, my first answer was immediately like, I want him as the Beatle. Like, get too. out of there, McConaughey. But I guess my second answer is like, Maybe I just wouldn't cast him in this because he's a white person and we think that this should have... <laughs> he's a, slightly he's... less white than Matthew McConaughey. That is true. <laughs> I guess we will have a whole podcast to discuss the uh, variable whiteness of Keanu Reeves. But for our listeners, he has uh, Native Hawaiian and Chinese ancestry. Huh. I yeah. did not know that. So uh, his grandmother is Native Hawaiian and Chinese. So he's basically like... Emma Stone's character in Aloha. And but they look very real. similar. <laughs> so, in any event, he's white passing for sure. But less white than Matthew McConaughey. Correct. Also, I think less distracting because when I saw Keanu Reeves voice act in the great film Keanu, yes. I did take a second and I'm very tuned to Keanu's voice. Maybe I'm just bad at identifying people, but I was like, is he really doing it? Is he really doing it? And he was. Any thoughts of other things that Keanu could do in this movie if we were to use him? So I would have thought he would be good if he replaced Rooney Mara as the sisters. Ooh. <laughs> because he plays scary very well. And yeah. like his leveling, uh, like very kind of calm voice, and their dialogue is very like, well, we just have to do this, Kubo. Give us your eye. You don't need it. Like, like their like ever encroaching thing would be very kind of creepy if he was doing it. Would it still be sisters, just with a more male voice? It could be. Who okay. knows? I'm sure he could do it. It could He's also be brothers. Yeah. yeah. You could skip it. I, okay. I'm sorry if I have to leave immediately. That's fine, uh -huh. but I do not like Keanu Reeves. Okay. <laughs> it's been nice to have you. Thank Thanks you. So much. I appreciate. Um, no, I, I, I. Robin and I have talked about John Wick, which I do not like. Um, it's been okay to have you. Right. <laughs> no, I'm. I'm not a bit like. I think he. I think he goes between like 
bizarrely appropriate for the role he's doing, like mm-hmm. The Matrix, and laughably bad, like that mm. rom-com with um, Diane Keaton and Jack Nicholson. We'll be watching Something's it Gotta Give. Uh, Something's Gotta Give. So, it, it's difficult to figure out where I would put him in a movie, and I settled on The Fire-Breathing Chicken at the beginning. Yes. <laughs> Where I was like, okay, if instead of making stock chicken noises, that fire-breathing chicken was like, whoa. I was like, okay, yeah, that, that was good. That would have been good. That's where I would have used Keanu. That's a good I, use of him. I thought yeah. you were going to make him the eyeball under the water. No. A silent <laughs> character. I also realized I cannot Photoshop this week. <laughs> That's going to have to not happen for the Instagram. I think what you can do is do a picture of the chicken and underneath Keanu's voice. Whoa. Perfect. <laughs> Great. Awesome. What's your... What would you cast him as? Oh, Beetle. Yeah. Yeah. It's just, it's, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm not going to go past the obvious on this one. Cool. I think also a thing that's worth mentioning in terms of recasting is that this movie doesn't have many extraneous characters and it has, I feel like for an animated feature for kids, long moments of silence. Yeah. Like long, like stretches without dialogue. Um, and not just in the up scenario where it's like, we're going to wrench your emotions for a two minute silence sequence and then we'll have a movie. Like, I feel like they weave it very much into the, the style of the entire film that there are long periods of time that are quiet and sinister. Let's talk about how pretty it is. It's unbelievably pretty. So pretty. So, yeah, yeah, I mean, it, it, I was, like, watching, I, like, I'm reluctant to look into how they did everything, because I want to, like, maintain the magic, like, yeah. this is the first, like, movie magical thing I've ever seen, like, you can, like, take a cynical hat and, like, be like, oh, the water and the smoke are probably CGI, or at least enhanced by computers. Right. But generally speaking, I'm like, I, I maybe, like, peer through the end credits to see, like, what kind of animators they had, but generally speaking, I'm like, this movie looks amazing, I, all, I don't want to know how they did everything, it's just awe-inspiringly brilliant and like even though it's hand animated still has all of like the detail and scene complexity of things like avatar and wally and i don't know how they did it i don't either it's incredible they show at the end in the credits them creating the set piece of the big skeleton with the swords in his head yeah and it's so cool looking like it's so cool to see that but I agree that there's just, like, the things that I'm like, they, that has to be computer animated. Yeah. And I bet that sometimes it was, but there had to be other times it wasn't. So I think looking in the credits, there's a lot of, oh, maybe maybe like three or four, like, CGI face animators. So oh. I think they enhance people's faces with CGI. Okay. But beyond that, like, I couldn't really tell, like, I think I think the backgrounds are computer animated and everything yeah. in front of them. Is stop oh, motion. That makes sense. And oh and, and Leica made the completely unverifiable claim that that skeleton is the largest stop motion puppet ever created. It's huge. Which is which is believable. Yeah. I mean, yeah. how would you know? But that's very <laughs> believable. Yeah. So of their there are four Leica movies. Paran Coraline was first. Coraline, Paranorman, Box Trolls, and this. And this. And they've always been very interestingly designed and yeah. very well animated. This was the first one where it it passes into wow, this is goddamn magical. Right. Yeah. Um, this is really where I think they step forward and and establish not just we're good at doing stop motion animation, but we have a visual language and a thing that we're doing that really no one has ever done before. And this movie would not be as beautiful if they had used any other form of animation. Right. Mm -hmm. It's not just using it because that's what they're doing. Right. And also, like, as a weird side note, I also noticed um, I had the weird uh, thing of using someone's uh, VR headset to watch this movie for a minute. What? Someone Someone at work had a VR headset and so we put it on. You can do, like, a virtual Netflix. Like, so it project a living room around you and you get a screen but that screen is just a small portion of the actual screen that's pressed against your face so I put this movie on the Netflix and it doesn't look like it's hand animated anymore it looks like it's computer animated because it's just a small portion of a small screen so when you watch it on like a big screen like you should definitely make an effort to see it on the biggest largest clearest screen that you should see otherwise you lose all of the magic of the detail and the texture and everything that goes into it I'm going to need more detail on the point of this VR program. (laughs) You put on a headset, and it's not just, here's a movie really close to you. It's, here's a virtual living room that you're... It is a living room simulator. It is a living room simulator. It gives you a couch and a coffee table that has, like, fake magazines on it and Uh stuff like this. 
which is illuminated by the movie. I have no idea what the point of that is, but it's a thing that you can do. Maybe if you're like really afraid of flying, you can put it on and be like, I'm not flying, I'm in a living room. I'm watching a movie <laughs> in a living room. So that could be a reason. Yeah. I, I did notice when we saw it in the biggest screen possible, I think we saw it at the waterfront. We saw it in IMAX 3D, I believe. Did yeah. you see it in 3D? I think so. I don't remember. It's I like this movie consistently finds ways to surprise you, I think, with its visual language. Yeah. Um like the use of the origami as like characters that come to life is just clever and delightful in a way that it's like that's not a thing I've seen happen mm-hmm. before. Um and I feel like they do that repeatedly throughout it. And that they I think that there's like a lot of varied tone. Like at some point in the beginning, there's an old woman who's like, put the fire breathing chicken in. People like humor. Keanu. And I think that that was sort of them winking, being like, This is gonna be a grim story, but don't worry, we're gonna put a lot of jokes in. Yeah. Which they do, both visual and otherwise. I think that the humor in this movie, while sometimes a little, like, because Matthew McConaughey is very much like comic relief and like he and Charlie's have banter. Mm-hmm. And like there are times when it feels very like heavy handed, like here are the jokes now. Right. But I laugh at every single one of them. Yeah. For example, when Matthew McConaughey says, oh, this is problematic. <laughs> this is problematic. <laughs> <laughs> I also think the the puppet face acting, be it CGI or not, is amazing in this because yeah, particularly on monkey. I was gonna say, and like I do think that Charlize does a great job of inflecting a range of emotions into the role because monkey vacillates very quickly between being like grumpy and survival oriented to being very tender in a way that you wouldn't necessarily expect a stop motion animation to like get that across right it's it's very it's very detailed very nuanced i I, most of my podcast is reading things off of the imdb trivia page which (laughs) which i did earlier and includes kubo had over 48 million possible facial expressions and a total of 23,187 prototype faces were created for him Wow. So, yes. <laughs> well, good job. And Those that's just one eye. Those are all in a warehouse somewhere, which is weird. Mm-hmm. God, can you imagine walking into that warehouse and just having all those faces looking at Better you? Better waking up in that warehouse. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like sometimes this movie is hard to talk about because I'm like, I just think it's so good. Yeah. Like, I yeah. think... Like, we talked about, like, how visually beautiful it is, but I also think, like, the actual storytelling devices, I feel like there are a lot of movies that are like, this is a movie about how stories are important. But I I feel the way that it's framed from the beginning, like, using his technique that he uses, like, in the square. Like, I just feel like this movie hooks you from the moment that it starts with the, like, you must not blink or whatever it is that he says. If you must blink, do it now. (laughs) So, speaking of the story, this is a thing where afterwards I was like, hmm, I'm gonna think about this for a second. So, the Moon King comes back and he has, he's a blank slate. Do all the villagers so just weird. immediately know that what they need to do is lie to him? Or has the past changed and he's always been there and they're just speaking their truth for the rewritten past? I think they're lying. I yeah. think they're yeah. lying too, but then that also seems like a troubling element of like, everyone has their own story and like at some point when he's fighting the Moon King, he's like, well that's your version of the story. Right. It does seem a little bit like, well, whatever you say happens to be the way it goes. I find the end of this movie I love this movie so much the end of it other than the racism is the most problematic thing this is problematic because I don't get it I don't understand why the moon king becomes human no I do okay why so he when he plays the three strings yeah he has Kubo's eye and I think that through Kubo's eye he's able to see humanity for the first time and prior to that he'd been blind to humanity's goodness, and that's why he needed both eyes from Kubo so that Kubo wouldn't be able to see the goodness of humanity and he could join the the kingdom. Uh-huh. Which is why when he becomes human, he has one eye that works and one eye that doesn't. But when he's the Moon King, he doesn't have either of them there. So he's so- basically like, Kubo has forcefully opened his eye through the magic of family shamisen playing. <laughs> and now, like, he will live with Kubo and, like, be the family, like, the you know, humanity-caring family person, as opposed to, I think the other alternative ending would be, like, Kubo, a young child, murdering his family member, even if he's evil, is kind of like, that's not a great... Well, he's a god, right? So, like, the Moon King and the sisters and Charlize, they're all not human. Well, I think that... I think that his mother, by coming to Earth, has become human. Oh, okay. And that that's part of the reason that they are angry with her, is that she's, like, forsaken her immortality. Oh, right. And he's like, if you're going to live like a person and die like a person. I think it's similar to all the other movies that are coming out recently. I feel like the big speech between 
the Moon King and Kubo at the end. It's like similar to like Wonder Woman, and it's just and Guardians, and it's just yeah. like, do you want to be immortal or human? Well, guys, I think uh, didn't Nicolas Cage and Meg Ryan do it first in that movie about angels coming to Earth? <laughs> pair, pair, pair. <laughs> Wait, what? <laughs> when he sat at the end of that movie, he just grabs a bunch of pears very robotically. <laughs> What's what the name movie of that? Is this? City of Angels. City of Angels. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. So With the just... Goo Dolls song. Right. Yes. He decides to give up his angelicness to become human only to then have her die. Correct. And then he's like, ugh, being pear, pear, pear. So I really like that explanation, but as as someone who is constantly trying to justify things that happened on Twin Peaks, that <laughs> that that does strike me as like this sounds like a really believable explanation for a thing that the filmmakers had no explanation for, other than we want to have a nice moment where he has somebody at the end, and we are not going to sell ourselves out by bringing his family back. I but, think they could have made they could have easily chosen the village in that respect. Right? They could have just had mm-hmm. him. I I, agree. I, I think that. I don't think that they didn't have that in mind. I think that they spent so much time building those face models, they wouldn't accidentally put a matching eyeball in it. Mm. Mm. And the whole movie is about ripping an eyeball out of a kid's head. So, so I thought that when they said my grandfather took my eyeball from me, they meant that he like plucked it out and squished it. But he was just hanging on to it in his pocket? I think it's like a metaphorical eyeball after okay. he pulls it out. Okay. And I think so it's like, you know, he has taken it. And I don't think, you know, like it's in his head because he's blind then. Right. Yeah, I also just find it creepy and weird how this, like, super malicious evil force who, like, destroyed the village comes to life and has no memory, and the village is like, well, if we tell him he's a good person, he will be. That feels like the beginning of a really creepy story to me. (laughs) I agree. Like, that would be a cool horror movie, right? Where we have this, like, evil person we've convinced is Mr. Rogers, and slowly his Mr. Rogers-like tendencies will fall to his true evil. I'm fairly sure that exists, but I don't know what it is. Twelve listeners, if you know, (laughs) please let us in on that secret. I mean, I do think that the movie trucks in a belief that, like, your story defines who you are. So I think by them creating that for him, I think that they think that they've effectively boxed in. I like how the little girl's like, and you give me candy. You give me money all the time. (laughs) Oh, so... Since I've already taken this role by defaming Keanu Reeves, I will, like, continue being the curmudgeon just by saying I like this movie a whole bunch, but I think less than anyone else at this table (laughs) because I thought it was... Prometheus chair. Right. I thought it was really ridiculously beautiful and thematically wonderful. Like, that summary you gave is a perfect story, and I think... That Laika's, like, the mechanics of their storytelling mm. are not all the way there yet. Like, I thought that the, I mean, the, in watching it again this morning, I was like, this skeleton fight is clearly, like, the most impressive, dazzling thing that happens in this movie. Why is it in the middle, in the middle and not at the end? Like, I feel like the fight against dragon moon king is a big big letdown after yeah. that sequence he looks and like the shatari at the end of the avengers he's also yeah. like weirdly day glowy i do not like how the look the look yeah. of the final monster i'm like it's mm, it's not great you gave up on that i just so i it, agree with sean yes i think that mechanically it's a movie that peaks in the middle and like i i share these concerns about the ending where the ending felt like Time for an ending now, like, that will satisfy some of the thematic things, but not really neatly tie it up in a story sense. And they keep talking about stories ending, right? Like, he has, Mm -hmm. when he goes to the town and does his magical shamisen origami dance, it never ends the story. And they're like, oh, you have trouble with endings. I think that's also their way of saying, like, stories don't end. There aren't endings. Yeah. Because as long as people remember that there is no final thing. So right. I think that they deliberately aren't like, here's a neat bow and everything's perfect. Right. Because I think the message of the movie is that things carry on, that it's not simplistic, there's not a button at the end. That's nice. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. And also, like, all the little, like, internal logical decisions that all the characters make all follow through and make sense. And every twist has... A, like a satisfying and fulfilling explanation that comes after it. Mm-hmm. So, like, I, with regards to like how the like the tent poles of the story are structured, like I can see that that's a more impressive thing and like all that stuff. But I'm like, but it follows through. Like, it makes sense. Like, why certain things happen at certain times? Yeah. Uh, in the context of like how it's progressing. Yeah, I do. I would. Which agree is with... rare. Yeah, 
I would agree with John. Like, I do feel like the story is like, here is the beginning. Here is an action. Here is an act. Like, like, you know, there's Mm -hmm. three pieces of armor and it's like, but I don't necessarily think that bothers me. Yeah. I was just pulling up when I, like, when I sent in a nominating ballot last year, what I did and... I had Kubo third for 2016 among animated films. After what? Zootopia and Moana. Uh, I think it vastly is better than Zootopia. Yeah. I liked all three of those movies. They're all four-star movies for me, so it's hard for me to be like, which one is slightly better? But I think that this one is closer to my heart. But then I might dock it points for the diversity thing and go to Moana. But I don't know. You know what? Maybe Zootopia. Okay, this is irrelevant to this podcast. Right. Charlize (laughs) Um, Theron is not in either of those movies. So a thing that may or may not edge it above another movie would be if it could be improved upon. And would you think this movie would be improved by Prison Riot? I... Also, again, like with Young Adult, I don't know where Prison Riot goes in this movie. Would. Yeah, I, I think it's it, impossible to shoehorn one in. And, and this is an action Im- movie, so yeah. it should be able to have one. I guess that I was just struggling so much with what is the prison. <laughs> right. I mean, you, I guess you could replace the, but like the 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 forest of eyeballs could be oh. then replaced. Like instead, the armor is then in a, in a prison. But then it's just stupid. Like, he, well, here is a, the only way I could think you could shoehorn one in is the eyeballs keep people underwater so they can stay with them forever. So what if, like, similar to Ursula having all those weird plants, there were a bunch of people who'd gone to the armor but then were like kept in the eyeball prison and then they could riot out. I don't want this to be added to the movie, yeah, and yeah. I think that it's not improved by a prison riot. But that was the only place I could think of that we might be able to like squeeze in. Yeah, yeah. because the eyeballs are like a genuinely scary They're threat. So scary. So mm. it's like, yeah, I, I want to keep those in. I don't think we want to have hijinks. Yeah, I, I only got to an alternate reality sequence where <laughs> Monkey is imprisoned by the sisters in a prison full of actual bad guys and must defeat all of the like a monkey versus many actual villains right but that does not fit in this narrative yeah. in any way so yeah. no so is there a new hypothesis emerging that uh prison riot can only improve movies that are not really good on their own is there a certain level of quality yeah, where prison riot stops being helpful like well, have yeah. you done reindeer games yet not like yet. it would be great in reindeer games well we'll get there <laughs> yeah well, again, it's like Snow White and the Huntsman. So many ways to improve that with yes. Prison Riot. Like you could, like the the number of Prison Riots that can improve a movie is inversely proportional to how good it is. Yeah. But guys, didn't we start this with Fate of the Furious, which does include a Prison Riot? Yes. And we were like, that's true. And would that movie be less good without that Prison Riot? Yeah, yes, absolutely, absolutely. absolutely. Yeah. So I don't know. I don't know. I think we're going to have to keep asking this question. Oh, we're never going to gonna stop asking this question. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm just adding new potential hypotheses. <laughs> okay. Cool. So we, should we rank it? Yeah. So uh, speaking of Fate of the Furious, I am putting this just behind it as my number three. It would be my number two, but I'm docking points for the diversity issue. And it particularly felt wrong to put it ahead of Fate of the Furious, which has a diverse cast. So I, I that didn't feel right, even though I love this movie as much, if not more. It's gonna be in my third slot. I'm I'm g- gonna put it in my second slot. It's gonna be just below uh, Young Adult for like story and character complexity reasons, and just above Fate of the Furious, just for because of pure effort. Like the amount of work and time and love that went into making this movie is far eclipses anything else that we've uh, reviewed. Also, it gets extra points to me because of all the twelve movies that we've reviewed so far. This is only the third original movie that we've done. Really? Yeah. Huh. The other two are Young Adult and Two Days in the Valley. Wow. So the fact that this is a, an original story just pips it above. Because like, obviously a lot of effort went into Fate and the Furious, but this one just has more of everything. But it was it. the fate in that series, so. Yeah. <laughs> For me, uh, I find Robin's arguments very convincing about why it, Fate of the Furious should beat it, but I'm going to edge it out uh, even though I agree that Fate of the Furious has more diverse cast and uh, a lot more cars in it. But I think that Charlize is amazing as Monkey in yes. this, in a way that, like, no offense to Cypher, is a little boring. Yeah. Um, like, I love Fate of the Furious as a movie, but I don't necessarily, like, I don't look to that Charlize role and I'm like, wow, look at her go. I'm more like, well, you're the only person that could do that for me, and I wouldn't be like, oh, stop. But I think that as Monkey, like, she has such great lines in this, in a way that, like, you know, she's not even on screen. And I also think this is the only opportunity we're going to have 
to have Charlize just as a voice actor. She has a cameo in Astro Boy. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Okay. And I just think, like, we we spend a lot of time watching Charlize movies, and I think that I don't often pay attention to her vocal acting in a way, like, as separate from everything else, so I appreciated the opportunity to do that. So this is my new number two, right behind Young Adult. I am really surprised that I, of the three of us, was the one who resisted putting this in number two, because <laughs> this movie is my kryptonite. I think that makes sense, though, because you'd be way more likely to watch Fate of the Furious, because it won't make you cry. Yeah, that's true. Rewatching this was... I, like, had to, like, brace myself. I did, too. I was kind of like, ugh, this is gonna be hard. Because I had no idea what I was in for when we went to see it. I was like, pretty, Charlize, yay! And then it was like, (laughs) oh, this is uh, two hours meditating on dead parents. (laughs) I was messed up. I had to talk about it at therapy. I also, like, I remember watching the first one, and when I, like, figured out the metaphor, and, like, the name of the movie was different than I had thought all along, because he uses the original strings on the Shamisen to escape, and also to kill his aunt. Yeah. He kills his aunt, and then he escapes from them. So it seemed like those were, like, the magic things, and then it's only, like, after that where you're like... No, it's not about magic being powerful. Like, I don't I just, and I feel like watching it a second time, it didn't have that same gut punch that it did. Yeah. Mm. You were still gut punched. My gut will always be punched by this. Bye. <laughs> also for my MDB trivia, the longest stop motion animation film ever made. Really? Yes. How long at, is it? at one minute longer than Coraline. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, but 141. I mean, there's no, like, like your, your various Wallaces and Gromits are not very long. Right. So. The movie that hits you right in the gut is also as long as it could possibly be. So yeah. <laughs> enjoy that. It's so nice to watch a movie that's less than two hours. It is yeah. so refreshing. Yeah. Why? Why is? Why are so movies? So many movies so long nowadays? I don't understand. I get so excited. Like I just looked at my like upcoming critic screening list, and that movie with Amy Poehler and Will Ferrell, yeah, is eighty-eight minutes, and I'm like, Whoa. yes. Yeah. Oh, I'm going to get home at a reasonable hour. It's not going to overstay its welcome. I love short movies. I agree. So, uh, you said that you ranked this as your third animated film from 2016. Of 2016. And Any... I see the, the, the list and... Yeah, absolutely. And, and of, of episodes you have done so far, I apologize for not memorizing them. That's okay. That's I, fair. We'll forgive you. Okay, yeah. Mine's... You haven't seen all of these movies. No, Because some of them not. were made in the last century. Yes, so... We've never made a guest do this before. Uh, <laughs> okay, this is... Of, of of the things I've seen, this is definitely better than both Huntsman's. This is way better than Aeon Flux. I think this is better than The Cider House Rules. For some reason, I do not remember that movie it's well. Not it's not It's very forgettable. It's extremely bad. <laughs> um, I actively hate The Italian Job. Oh! Um... <laughs> And I, I mean, so I guess it's number three for me as well. Like, does young, Bagger Vance beat it for you? I have not seen The Legend of Bagger Vance. I think I have an identical list to all of you, where Young Adult would be number one, and Fate of the Furious would be number two. Well, there they have they have this. Oh, right, right, Fate right. of the Furious. So yeah. you're identical to me. Yes. I I did want to talk about. I don't know if this is helpful podcasting or not, but the ants' creepiness. Like, what is it about shots of feet, like two inches above the ground, just floating? This is so ominous. Like, it reminds me of the episode of Buffy. Uh, same. Yeah. Hush. Hush. Uh, and I feel like there are other instances where that happens, but I think the way that they shoot the ants is so effective, and the way they use the. Uh, the big hats to, like, cover their faces and them, like, being in masks with their, like, old-timey cigar things. I'm like, why do moon people need to smoke? Um, and then when the bottom part of her mask breaks off and you yeah. see she has a normal face underneath, it yeah. somehow becomes even scarier. Yeah. <laughs> this movie is so awesome. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So, thank you so much for listening. We haven't done the, like, where you should listen to us thing in a while. Bob, where should people listen to us? So they can listen to us on uh, any podcasting platform that you can download podcasts on your phone or wherever. iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, etc. We are also available on Mixcloud. I also upload our latest episodes onto Soundcloud. We're also available on YouTube. All kinds of places that are presumably, some of them at least are unblocked by your works network. So So you can listen to them at work. Wherever you're listening to us, you should do the thing where you like, Give us stars or subscribe or leave comments. Sure. Validate us. <laughs> I would also like to put a special plug 
I think you should listen to us. Thank you for doing that. But I think more people should follow us on Instagram, where you can see the beautiful and true Photoshop skills of Robin Elaine Hitchcock, and you get a visual representation of who Keanu should be in all these movies, and every single one cracks me up every time. And that is at Charlize Theronathon. That's at Charlize Theronathon. Our other social media is all at Theronathon. Thank you so much to our guest, Sean Collier. You should check out his podcast, You Can't Handle the Truth, also available on all sorts of platforms. Yeah, you can find it on iTunes and Stitcher and and anywhere that you get your podcasts. Charlie's episodes include Definitely Fate of the Furious. Guest star Liz Labaz. And what are other recent Charlie's movies from the past well, three Mad years. Fury Road. There's definitely a Mad Max Fury Road episode. Hey, we haven't said this already. Why don't you guys come and do an Atomic Blonde episode? Yay! Yay! Studios, please screen that for critics so yes. we can. <laughs> HandleTheTruthPodcast.com and my Twitter is basically a list of things I'm doing. That's at Sean Collier PGH. Yeah, you can also see him do stand-up comedy live. Do you have anything coming up in that? When, when does this, this drop? This goes up on Thursday. Yeah, get your tickets now for the DVE Comedy Festival on Friday, June 23rd. There's a great main stage headlined by Colin Quinn. Then there is a late show at Club Cafe, which is an all-star Pittsburgh stand-up show with, let's see, Aaron Cliver, Jeff Conkle, Ed Bailey, Dave Bracey, Suzanne Lawrence, Felicia Gillespie, John Dick Winters, and Alex Stapula. Uh, plus guests from the main stage. That is Club Cafe Friday the 23rd. And then we are doing a DVE edition of the stand-up Get Down at Arcade Comedy Theater on the 24th with Team Me versus Team Bill Crawford. So attend those things. Get your tickets now! Alright, thank you again for listening. Thank you for being our guest. Um, we will edit out all your disparaging comments about Keanu, I assume. I understand. Uh, <laughs> thank you to Alex Reed for our theme song. Oh, thank you so much. We love it. Every time. <laughs> Every time. And Love's most free. of all, thank, thank you, Charlize! Must blink, do it now. Yes, Which, is. by the way, I spent a long time trying to think of a, a, a sound version of that for us <laughs> to say at the beginning of this podcast. Like, is there a sound equivalent of blink? No, <laughs> probably. If, if, if <laughs> you <laughs> must do it now, I don't know. <laughs> if you must cotton swab your ear, do it now. <laughs> <laughs>